Well, hey, gang. Welcome to another uh, uh, men's breakfast slash recording of the uh, the teaching. Uh, this is uh, today. We're going to do First John chapter three and the first three verses of that chapter. But before we do, again, let's do a real quick sort of review of what we've uh, come through in the last few verses leading up to this. John has been talking about the temptation to follow after false beliefs, antichrists, and also the temptation to follow after sinful living. Okay, there's a temptation to these things. And John places before his readers the fact of the coming of Jesus, the second coming, okay? That's what he puts in front of them, and he says how that should be a tremendous hope for believers and a motivator to practice holy living. So faith in Christ is the antidote for false belief and sinful behavior. That's what John's whole point is. Now we're going to get into this next section where he's going to talk about um, um, the characteristics of our, our, our fellowship and our relationship with him. So let's let's read 1 John chapter 3 verses 1 through 3. All right? Verse 1 says, "See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope, excuse me, fixed on him, purifies himself just as he is pure. Okay, so let's go back and take a look at these three verses. A lot of stuff going on in here. Um, he starts out right off. He, he appeals to the reader to consider God's love for us, okay? He says, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us. Now, if we were reading this in Greek, if we could read Greek, it's interesting because it's actually a little bit more dramatic than just, I mean, that's pretty dramatic, but it's even more dramatic than that. In the Greek, it's more like, um, see this amazing gift of love that God has lavished on us, lavished on us by calling us his children, you see that? It's very dramatic. He's lavished this. It's a really, it's, it's like that. And look what he is. He's lavished. And what is that? That he's What's the love that he's lavished on us? By calling us his children. Number one thing, what does God want? What God wants is his family back, okay? But there must be spiritual rebirth, right? That's what, that's the whole thing in John 3 when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again. That's what that whole thing is actually about. This whole familial language is, you find it all over the place in both the New and Old Testament. Like, just here's a couple examples. Let's pop over to Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. Take a look at this, just a couple examples, real quick. Matthew 5, look at verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be what what called sons of God. Okay, blessed are the people and the peacemakers. By the way, just so we're clear, he's not talking about people who make peace between countries or get the Nobel Peace Prize. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with peace 
between man and God. Who's who? That's what it's referring to. It's peace with God. That's what it's referring to. And so it's peace. Blessed are the peace makers, for they shall be called what sons of God. Okay, that's why God wants His family back again. Um, <clears throat> let's look at some Old Testament examples. Pop over. Uh, let's go all the way back to Deuteronomy. This is a running theme. This familial language that's in the Old and New Testament is not <clears throat> just cute, colorful language. It's, there's more to it, far more to it, and critical <clears throat> with regards to that. It's not just an accident. Look at, uh, let's say, Deuteronomy chapter 1, look at verse 31. It says, In the wilderness where you saw how the Lord your God carried you, look at this, just as a man carries his son in all the way which you have walked until you came to this place. It's talking about God carried you just like a, a parent carries their child. Okay, very interesting. Making this sort of interesting lang- uh, familial language point. Uh, staying in Deuteronomy for a second, let's pop over to chapter 8. Okay, Deuteronomy 8, uh, look at verse um, 5. Look at this. Thus you are to know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man, what? Disciplines his son. Okay, again, this is this familial language. So what does God want? God wants a family. In fact, he wants his family back. We are estranged children. He wants us back. Okay, so he says this going back to our uh, part in 1 John. Go back to 1 John now. So he says, see how great a love the Father has, has lavished on us so that he, we could be called children of God. And then he says, and such we are. Okay. John emphasizes this reality. We are. We are children of God. That's the reality of the new birth. And thus, because of that, he goes on to say, the world hates us. Look at this. Such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Okay? It did not know him. The reality of our birth, it's a fact. And that's why the world hates us. Pop over, go to John's uh, um, uh, gospel. Go to John 15, please. <clears throat> let's look at Jesus' comments on this. Similar, same thing. Uh, there's a lot going on here, but let's, we'll be focusing mostly on this whole idea of the world hating uh, Jesus and us as a result. It says, uh, John 5, or 15, I'm sorry, starting with verse 18. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Because of this, the world hates you. Because we've been chosen by Jesus, the world hates us. Remember... The word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. Quoting the Psalms. Verse 26. 
When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. From the beginning. So, if the world hates us, it's because we are children of God. We are Christ's. Follow? So that's the reason. I think probably most knew that, but the, you know that's what John's getting at back here in First John. So now let's go back First John. Let's take verse two. Okay. So he's made this whole point. Okay. Then he says in verse two, he says, "Now we are children of God, since it is established that we are children of God. Then what?" He says. He says, "Beloved, we are children of God now, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be." In other words. It may be as we are established that we are children of God, but much, much more awaits us. Okay, look, let's look. Paul makes this point in 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look at verse 9. Now, he's, he's, he's quoting Isaiah here, but look what it says. Just as it is written, it says, Things which eye has not heard has not seen and ear has not heard, and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. You see that? There's much more awaits us, a lot more awaits us, far more awaits us. This is nothing. Says, okay, now going back to 1 John, let's look at this. The next question is, when does this all happen, of course? And this is what he says here. He says, look, verse 2, 1 John, chapter 3, Beloved, how are we? And now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, see, when does this happen? At the second coming. At the second coming. It says, when he, we know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. So at the second coming, we will be like Jesus. Though John doesn't really tell us exactly what that means entirely, okay? Paul gets closer to talking about what that means in in his letter to the church in Rome. Look at pop over to Romans 8, if you will. Let's take a look at this. This is where Paul gets into some detail about this. Romans 8, starting with verse 16. It says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. That's a, that's a magnificent statement. The Holy Spirit confirms, okay, bears witness that we are children of God. Very important. Verse 17, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be, what's this, glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. See, there's more coming. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for what? The revealing of the sons of God, which will happen at the return of Christ. Okay, so there's more coming. There's a glorification. We don't become gods. That doesn't mean that. But we become like him in because this sinful body, all that stuff, sin no longer is, is present. Nothing like that. We are different. Okay. Um, and this is what it's talking because we are children of God. More, more awaits us. All right. Now, go back to First John. Let's look at the last verse. Okay. He's made all this point. Now he says, and everyone who has, this is verse 3, 1 John 3, verse 3, says, 
everyone who has this hope, okay, what hope? The hope in the second coming, the hope in the, in the resurrection, right? Okay, everyone who has that hope, fixed on him, purifies himself just as he, Jesus, is pure. In other words, we must keep our eye on Jesus. We must become more like Jesus, and we will if we stay in his word. Okay, so it's not like we've arrived. There's more coming. God is not done with you. This is important to remember, okay? Um, Let me read you a little quote from a commentary. This is from the New International Commentary on 1 John. But uh, the author makes a really interesting point about this, this particular set of verses. And I think it's uh, a great way to end this and something to keep in mind. Uh, This is what it says. It says, The importance of this section as a whole is that it draws attention to the reality and the incompleteness of Christian experience. Christians who are in doubt about their standing need to be reassured that those who do what is right have been born of God and belong to him. They have all the privileges of God's children. At the same time, however, they need to be warned against any self-satisfaction or feeling that they have achieved all that is possible in Christian experience. To think in this way is to ignore the dimension of hope. It is to suggest that God has already done all that he can do, and that he has no further moves open to him, right? God is not done with you. God is not done with you, okay? Very important thing to remember, all right? Great. Uh, Well, I hope this was... uh, Uh, helpful. Hope you got something out of it. Uh, Have a really blessed day and uh, talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.